Happy Halloween, folks, and welcome to the very special spooktacular that is WrestleRant Radio for October 31st, 2019. I am your ghostly host with the most, Graham GSM Matthews, and I hope you guys are having a very scary holiday. Alright, I'll probably stop with the stupid voice now, but nonetheless, I am as big of a fan of Halloween as anyone. Okay, and for the first time in the six years that I've been doing this show, Wrestle Rant Radio falls on Halloween for the first time ever. And you know damn well that I'll be taking full advantage of that. Complete with the 1989 Halloween Havoc theme song, which 30 years later is still catchy as hell, I will say. Um, I'm probably not the first podcast to use that song for the intro of a Halloween episode of a, of a wrestling show, but fuck it, I thought it was a cool song, and it's my show, so why the hell not? But I am sitting here right now dressed up as Marty McFly from the future, from the year 2015 and back to the future too. I did dock a few years ago, and because this year marks the 30-year anniversary of the movie, and because I got the hoverboard from the second movie of Back to the Future as a Christmas gift about a year ago, I thought it would be the perfect costume. So I am going as Marty McFly from Back to the Future 2 um, a little later on today. So it's a bit of a stacked day here today. We have Crown Jewel coming up in a few hours, which I will not be discussing here on today's podcast. So if you're listening to this the same day um, as Crown Jewel after the event, which I'm sure you are, uh, I will not be discussing the pay-per-view here on today's show just because I'm recording this before the show. I did give my predictions for the pay-per-view, um, on last week's show. So I, I think I had Brock retaining the championship real quick. Um, not n- the match not being real quick, but just real quick my predictions. Um, they did add, I think, another match. Lacey Evans versus Natalia. For the first time ever, women will be wrestling in Saudi Arabia, which is really, really cool. I couldn't care less about Natalia and Lacey Evans for the upteenth time, but it doesn't really matter who the competitors are. The fact they're having a women's match at all in Saudi Arabia is huge. So I thought that was cool, but that was added to the card on, I think, Tuesday. I think the other day, or maybe even just Wednesday. I think just yesterday, actually. Um, but other than that, business as usual in Saudi Arabia. We'll see if it delivers. I'm expecting it not to, because all the other Saudi Arabia shows up to this point have been no good. So I guess we'll see, but no crown jewel talk here in today's show. I did discuss everything Jordan Miles on Wednesday's episode of Hashtag AskGSM. So if you want my full thoughts on that whole controversy with the t-shirt and the comments about Jay Lethal and everything else he discussed on Twitter and on Instagram on Thursday, or rather this earlier this week, on Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, whatever, um, you can find all those thoughts on hashtag AskGSM. Rather, today's episode of WrestleRant Radio will be focused on this week's episodes of NXT and AEW Dynamite. So as soon as I wrap up recording this, I gotta go watch NXT UK, which is airing at a special start time today of 11 a.m. here in uh, the East Coast on in the U.S. So I gotta watch that. Then the kickoff show starts for Crown Jewel. I'm watching that. Then the actual show, got to cover that um, up until it ends. And then I'm leaving right after that. And somewhere in between there, I'm going to hope to watch Ghostbusters. Because as I discussed on Wednesday's Hashtag AskGSM, it's a tradition of mine every single year, no matter how late it is, even at midnight on Halloween, to watch Ghostbusters every year. It's just that great of a movie. Um, but this is WrestleRant Radio. We are breaking down NXT AEW Dynamite here on Halloween of all days out of the year. 
If you want to check out full episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single week, you can do so by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio. We're all over the place, baby. Wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show, uh, WrestleRant Radio, new episodes every single Thursday, in addition to NextAirWrestling.net. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show, and not only get all the new episodes, but also all the archived episodes dating back to 2013, over six years worth of content. So subscribe today. As for me, you can find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRan, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and also on YouTube at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Graham GSM Matthews. So with all that being said, let's start breaking down this week's NXT first, just because that was the first show I watched of the two on Wednesday night. But I will say right now, though, both shows I thought were equally entertaining. I watched NXT first, as I said, Dynamite after that, and both shows left me very satisfied. Normally, most weeks they'll say, hey, NXT was the better show, or hey, Dynamite was the better show. This week, though, I, I think it was a tie. I mean, ratings-wise, Dynamite probably did better, and by the time you're listening to this, the ratings are probably have, have already been released, um, but with the World Series last night, Game 7 no less, I'm sure the ratings were in the fucking toilet for both shows, so that's not a great number to go off of, but... Despite the declining ratings, I think both AEW Dynamite and NXT are producing great shows week after week after week, and giving fans just a lot of great content to tune into, which is really cool. Um, So I'll start with NXT, and I will say this before we get started here, as you could probably tell from the length of this episode, I'm hoping to make this an abridged version of WrestleRant Radio, um, and a bit bit of an abbreviated version, I should say, Um, just because... Don't have a ton of time today, like I said, a lot to get to a little later on today in the holiday, so uh, today's episode won't be running as normal, you know, the the normal hour, Um, but I will try to make it worth your while with my thoughts of NXT and AEW Dynamite. So kicking off Wednesday's NXT, we had the rematch, the much-anticipated rematch from TakeOver Toronto 2, featuring Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae. Great match to kick off the show on Wednesday night. Um, Even before that, we had Poppy come out, so... I wasn't really familiar with the band itself, but they have done some songs for NXT in the past. I think they sang the song for Io Shirai's, that song that they played for Io Shirai's uh, video package um, a few months ago when she first went heel, which was kind of cool. She looks freaky as all hell, and if you really want to ring in the Halloween holiday, this is the right way to do it. Um, I thought that was a cool way to kick off the show. You can't do live performances every single week, but for what this was, I thought it was really cool. Um, but Io Shirai ended up going over. It was a standard singles match, though Candice attempted to use a chair. She did a, uh, you know, like a lion salt on, on Io. She missed, landed right on top of the chair. Io capitalized and picked up the victory. So Io is now 2-0 against Candice in singles competition. Really good match, though. Great way to kick off the show. I did think the takeover encounter was a bit better, but this was still very, very good. We then had Finn Balor explaining his actions from last week, basically saying that I am now the hottest thing in the business. He actually took a shot at Bray Wyatt, which I saw some people took exception to online. Um, The wording may not have been the best. I will agree with that. He said, oh, two months ago, I had to lay down for the fiend. And the only reason why he was the hottest thing in the business was because he put on a mask. Well, I took my mask off and now I'm the hottest thing in the business. Most of that I didn't really have an issue with. I didn't really have an issue with. 
I can see why people took exception to him saying, oh, laying down for the fiend. Oh, like, oh, breaking the fourth wall, brother. Yeah, I could see why that was a bit unnecessary because I would definitely have an issue with that if AEW did it or any other promotion, specifically like Impact, which used to do that shit all the time. So I'm not going to give NXT any passes here. I did think that was a bit stupid. But the overall promo I thought was great. Um, the intensity he brought was really, really welcomed. Um, just because we haven't really seen that type of intensity before from, from from Finn Balor on the mic, at least not in a long time. Even when he was in NXT the first time, I can't really recall any promos that he cut that were overly memorable. Ever since he went babyface, pretty much since he arrived in NXT, I mean, he was a heel over New Japan as the leader of the Bullet Club. But other than that, he's really largely been a babyface in the time that I've been following him for the past five years in NXT and WWE. Um, he's a good babyface. People, you know, like to rally behind him. He's really, really good. People love the demon shit like that. Um, but on the whole, though, he is much better in a heel role, specifically from a promo standpoint. As seen here, I thought this was one of the more memorable promos I've heard him cut in quite some time, if not ever, during his time in WWE. But I thought this was good, in addition to saying that he's the hottest thing in the business. Um, he put Johnny Gargano on notice, who did not appear on this episode, but he said Johnny watches wrestling uh, the way that it should be with Finn Balor on the screen, all this other stuff, taking shots at Johnny Gargano. Didn't really give away why Gargano was the person that he attacked last week and not Tommaso Ciampa or Matt Riddle. Um, I would assume as many other people have argued that maybe it's because Johnny Gargano is the current face of NXT, which was, you know, Finn Balor's spot for a very long time there for the first two years that he was in NXT. He was positioned as the face of that brand as well. So maybe he had, you know, maybe he had an issue with that. I'm not exactly sure. But I did think it was smart to not give everything away in this one promo. Um, he kind of left people wanting more, which is a good feeling. Sometimes it's not. You kind of left, you're, you're left a bit disappointed. But for week one of the heel turn from Finn Balor, I thought this was really, really well done. The follow-up was good. That was the biggest hook coming into the show. How would he address the actions uh, of what he did to Johnny Gargano the week before? And I thought he did it exceptionally well. Aside from that one line about laying down for the Fiend, that was a little silly. But other than that, though, um, I thought this was a great promo. And if this is the type of Finn Balor the intense, motivated, driven, determined Finn Balor were going to get as a heel, then I am fully on board with this heel turn, even more than he already was before. So right after that, we had Bronson Reed taking on Shane Thorne in a rematch from a match that we had on NXT TV about two or three months ago. Um, a match that I remember pretty much being booked to look like a standard squash match for Shane Thorne. And Bronson Reed has had some good performances lately. Again, Shane Thorne a few months ago. He had a good match with uh, Matt Riddle recently in NXT TV. And I believe someone else who I can't think of at the moment. I forgot who else he lost to. Maybe Damian Priest? It wasn't Priest. It was definitely someone along those lines. And he looked good in the feet. Um, but I was shocked that they had the guy lose as often as they were just because he's a monster of a man. And he was losing decisively all the time. He may have won in the first round of the NXT breakout tournament. I think he beat... Um, Samuel Shaw, or whatever the hell his new name is now, uh, Dexter Loomis, who I don't think we've seen since then, um, who was never really good to begin with, in my opinion, so I'm not really complaining, um, but with Bronson Reed, I don't think he's won a match on NXT TV since then, which would have been many months ago, he's only really lost, um, in the time that he's been on NXT for the most part, but I thought this was a great way of breaking him out into a single star with a win here. Uh, not only did he beat Shane Thorne, it was a really fun match, action-packed, 
The crowd was into it. They were thoroughly behind this guy when the match was over. They really had no reason to care when the match started. And Bronson Reed is good. Shane Thorne, I think, is really good. Very underrated. Um, and he's kind of in a you know, enhancement role right now, but he always makes everyone that he's in the ring with look really, really good. And Bronson Reed was no exception. Bronson Reed was able to avoid, or rather not avoid, avenge that loss uh, from Shane Thorne a few months ago uh, to Shane Thorne from earlier on in the summer and did so in spectacular fashion. I thought this was a really fun match. They maximized their minutes and they made the crowd care, which was key. Again, I hope that Bronson can continue to build off this victory and hopefully become a breakout single star before long. I mean, they have a lot of talented people right now in NXT, but more performances like this will help them stand out more, which, again, is very important right now in NXT. Uh, Brief note here, brief side note, it is raining really hard in the background right now, so if you hear any dripping or noises in the background, that's why. Um, Not ideal weather for Halloween, but it does kind of add to the spectacular vibe of the holiday, so I'm not, you know, entirely complaining. But, um, yeah, it's really raining hard today for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. It's been raining for the better part of the past week here in the uh, Northeast, which is uh, unfortunate. But, uh, anyway, just uh, wanted to note that real quick before we moved along. For the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships, we had the Kabuki Warriors defending against Team Kicks, Dakota Kai, and Tegan Knox. Great match. Not quite as amazing as I thought it would be. Never really reached that next level. Um, it was a very good match, though. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great to see the Kabuki Warriors kind of let loose for a change. I mean, they're good in the main roster, but they're kind of limited in what they can do. It's very obvious that in NXT that they're given more free reign to do what they're capable of. So I thought this was great, and it was a very, very fun match. Um, in the end, it was Asuka and Kyrie retaining, re- retaining their championships after Asuka spit the green mist in the face of Dakota Kai. Kyrie Sane followed that up with the insane elbow, the insane elbow, I should say. Uh, for the win, and to retain the WWE Women's Tag Team title. So a very, very good match here. Uh, Kai and Knox look great in defeat. They got a ton of time, which was cool to see. Uh, this was almost like a main event caliber match. And part of me wanted to see Io Shirai interfere and get the you know Black Lotus tribe that we had in Lucha Underground with Kyrie Sane, with Io Shirai, and in this case, Asuka instead of the third woman, whoever that was, in Lucha. Uh, we did not get that here, but Io Shirai did end up coming out, as did Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair and Shayna Baszler and Candice LeRae and Jessamyn Duke and Rena Shafir, and you could probably guess where this ended up. William Regal announced that for the first time ever a TakeOver next month, we are getting a women's war games match. Yes, for the first time ever, we are getting women's war games teams five of five um, every War Games match that WWE has done in the last three years has had different rules. Uh, the first one was teams of three, three teams of three. It was Undisputed Airs, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish against Sanity's Alexander Wolf, Killian Dane, and Eric Young. And then the makeshift trio of Roderick Strong and AOP. Last year, it was the more traditional route of two teams of four. It was Ricochet, Pete Dunne, and War Raiders against Undisputed Eras, Cole, Fish, O'Reilly, and Roderick Strong. And then this year, um, it looks like we're going to have two. I'll get to that later. But for this year, we're getting a women's one with two teams of five, which is pretty cool. So it looks like right now it's going to be Rhea Ripley, who's the team captain, Tegan Knox, who she has history with that has yet to be acknowledged, which I'm kind of surprised by. Maybe they'll just ignore it. I don't know. Or they'll try to establish some sort of, 
you know, make good between the two, that somehow they're, you know, uh, you know, creating this alliance for the time being to take out two common enemies or multiple common enemies and, you know, Bianca, Io, Shayna, so on and so forth. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how that one's explained away. But we have those two, Dakota Kai and uh, Candice LeRae. So they still need a fifth member against the fit, you know, the five-woman team of Io, Bianca, Shayna, Jessamine, Marina, and uh, Bianca, Io. Who was the other one? Bianca, Io, Shayna, Jessamine, Marina. Yeah, that's all five. Um, the fifth member of Team Rhea, who's it going to be? Um, there's a few guesses. I've seen a few people throw out a few names. We had a video package on the show for Mia Yim. So I could very well see it being, being Mia Yim. She's had her issues with Shayna and with Jessamine and with Marina. She went for the NXT Women's Championship at TakeOver two months ago and in August, and she lost. So Mia would make the most sense, but if they wanted to add a bit of a surprise element to this match, you know who would be perfect for this role, if not Mia Yim? Tony Storm, who is reportedly NXT bound. Uh, she did drop the NXT UK Women's Championship back at TakeOver Cardiff. Um, the NXT UK TakeOver in late August. That was, I think, exactly two months ago today. We have not seen her since um, on NXT, on NXT UK. Really nowhere, which is kind of surprising. I thought she would have been back by now. But maybe they're just waiting to bring her in for the right time on NXT proper. Um, and she'd be a great fit in that women's division. I don't really want to see her be the one to beat Shayna for that championship, but it wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, they do have history from a year ago. I don't know. They weren't. I mean, they were in the same. They were in the same May Young Classic in 2017. I don't know if Shayna knocked off Tony. I don't remember. But I do remember them having a match for the NXT Women's Championship over on one of those NXT UK shows last summer before NXT UK the brand was born. Uh, so they can kind of play off of that. I think Sheena won by countout. So, and they had great chemistry from what I remember. But anyway, um, Tony would make sense. Maybe Mia Yim. Those are really the only two women I would go with. I mean, there's also Chelsea Green and Deanna Brazo. Neither one of those women would make sense, but Tony would. She also, like Tegan Knox, has history with Rhea Ripley, so it would really have to be explained why she's choosing her over someone like a Mia Yim. Um, but we'll see. We shall see, but I am very excited for the first ever women's war games match next month. Long time coming, and this year more than any other, it just makes sense. Now we are getting a second war games match at Takeover next month, but I would have this one main event. I feel like this one has more bad blood. The Undisputed Era have headlined Takeover um, war games for the past two years. I think it's time to give the women a shot in the main event. And they are very well deserving because that match could be absolutely spectacular. So I'm looking forward to it. Also on the show, we had Tyler Bate versus Cameron Grimes after Tyler Bate shoved, or Cameron Grimes first shoved Tyler Bate in the audience last week. Tyler Bate came back with a punch straight to the face of that dumb top hat wearing Cameron Grimes. Uh, this was a really good match, though. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I have been no supporter, really, of Cameron Grimes in the time that he's been on NXT. He's very talented in the ring, but from a character standpoint, he bores me to fucking tears. But in the ring, though, the last two weeks, the guy's really ripped it up with the likes of Tyler Bate and Matt Riddle last week. Um, you know, he's a really good wrestler, but they really need to showcase his character more or just give him a character, wearing the top hat and coming out and just doing the old country thing, whatever that's supposed to be, just isn't enough, I don't think. When they have so many strong personalities right now in NXT and NXT UK and all these other brands, 
Cameron Grimes really sticks out like a sore thumb because he doesn't really have a character aside from wearing a dumb top hat. So again, um, they really need to establish some sort of persona for Cameron Grimes on this show. But in the ring, though, the guy's no joke. He's very, very good. This was a great match. Much to my surprise, Cameron Grimes ended up winning. After losing last week, he avenged that loss to Tyler, Bra- to Tyler Bate this week after interference, not really interference, but a distraction from Killian Dane in the crowd. So it looks like either we're getting a Killian Dane Cameron Grimes alliance, or this was just really a way for Killian Dane to get back at Pete Dunne for screwing with him a week or two ago. Speaking of Pete Dunne, he will be on the show next week facing off with Damian Priest in a rematch. Um, so it looks like Dunne now has issues with Bate. He has issues with uh, Dunne. Dunn has issues, or did I say Dunn before? Dunn has issues with Dane. He has issues with Priest. Bate has issues with uh, Killian Dane, Cameron Grimes. I've seen some people say, maybe, if we're getting two war games on the same show, we need to fill out the card somehow. So, um, I think a six-man tag team match would make the most sense. Got to give a shout-out to at Jeremy8911 for this prediction. But what if it ends up being uh, Damian Priest, Cameron Grimes, and Killian Dane, what a weird trio that is, uh, versus the British Strong Style, Pete Dunne, Trent Seven, and Tyler Bate. I think that'd be tremendous. So uh, I think it'd be great to see Dunne and those guys on the takeover, especially if they're going to be putting all their eggs in the War Games baskets. So uh, yeah, I'm, lo- I'm actually looking forward to seeing that take shape. If Bate's going to be on NXT, maybe Seven gets involved at some point soon as well. And I mean, takeover's in only a few weeks, so they don't have much time to set that up, but it would make the most sense, though, to really help fill out the card. Um, in addition to the two War Games matches, I would assume we get that match, and probably Leo Rush versus Angel Garza for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. Um, in the main event of the show, we had the NXT Tag Team Champions Undisputed Eras, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, battling Matt Riddle and Keith Lee in non-title action. Terrific tag team match, as one can only expect from these four. Great action, great energy. The crowd was into everything they did. In the end, it was once again the interference from Undisputed Era's Adam Cole and Roderick Strong that made the difference as O'Reilly and Fish capitalized and picked up the victory with, I think, O'Reilly pinning Matt Riddle. Um, either way, it was Matt Riddle pinning, getting the, uh, you know, getting pinned for the loss here. And not Keith Lee, which I think is interesting because I still do think they can go back to Lee as a tag team title contender with hopefully Dominic Dijakovic. So that wasn't all for this episode. We had Undisputed Era beating down on Keith Lee, beating down on Matt Riddle. Coming to their aid, none other than Tommaso Ciampa, which only made sense, who's had issues with Cole and the rest of Undisputed Era for a few weeks now since he came back from injury about a month ago. Um, He went after Goldie to close out the show, but went to Goldie and said, listen, Goldie, you're going to have to wait. Daddy's going to war. So it looks like, based off the visual that we had to close out this show with Undisputed Era on the stage and then Ciampa, Riddle, and Lee in the ring, it looks like we're getting a second War Games match on this show. Now, I'm not a big fan of that idea. Now, it makes sense. It's not random, but I don't like the idea just because I feel like it's overkill for one show. One War Games match is enough, and something that NXT has done that WWE has not been able to do the last couple of years has made these war games matches feel organic unlike with hell in the cell where we have the same match at the same time every year now that's what's become of war games it's become it's become an annual staple on the nxt calendar that being said though 
This is different because all three War Games matches are really four now because we're having two this year. Every War Games match we've gotten so far has made sense from a storyline standpoint. NXT's done a great job of making every match matter and making it feel exciting. So I really, really like that. But um, yeah, this should be a great match as well. As for who the fourth member of Team Ciampa could be, it's either one of two people. One, Velveteen Dream would be the most obvious choice. We really still have no idea whether that injury to Velveteen Dream was legit or not. I would reckon that it was. Um, otherwise, just because I don't know why you wouldn't do Dream and Strong in that rematch for the NXT North American Championship last week on the show. So I do assume it's a legitimate. I've seen some people say, oh yeah, he was really hurt in that match. You could tell by watching it back. I haven't watched it back, but that's just what I've read, what I've heard. Um, so if he is clear to compete in time, assuming he is legitimately injured, and he is clear to compete by TakeOver War Games, then yeah, he would make sense as the fourth guy in that match. If not Dream, though... Dominic Dijakovic. Now, obviously, he and Keith have had their issues, but, you know, you, you probably know this guy better than anyone, Keith Lee. He's a good guy to have on your team. You have a great chemistry with him. You know him inside and out. Sometimes your enemies are the best people to have as your partners because you know everything about their arsenal. So I think Dominic Dijakovic would also make sense. I, I would feel bad leaving him out of, the, uh, out of the equation here just because he's had these great matches with Keith for many months. So to boot him to the side with Keith Lee being involved in the match and not Dijakovic to me seems strange. So I would honestly prefer Dijakovic over Dream. I would keep Dream out until after TakeOver, assuming he is still legit hurt. I would have him come back after TakeOver and then do the rematch with Dream and Strong then. Um, That's how I would book it. But either way, these two War Games matches have plenty of promise, plenty of potential. I'm very much looking forward to the show. So as you said earlier, to help fill out the card, I think five matches is really all you need. You have the two TakeOver, or rather the two War Games matches on TakeOver. You have the possible six-man tag team match of British Strong Style versus Damian Priest, Killian Dane, and Cameron Grimes. For the NXT Cruiserweight Championship, you would have Leo Rush versus Angel Garza, who they kind of built up in a video package this week, which was cool. And then finally, I don't know how I forgot about this earlier, but Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano one-on-one. So uh, that seems like a stacked show on paper to me, and we still have no idea what the Survivor Survivor Series card is going to look like. They're probably not going to start building that up until Monday, or maybe even tomorrow on SmackDown, because Crown Jewel's today. Um, If it's the Raw versus SmackDown bullshit, I don't give a fuck. I really don't give a shit. But if they can somehow make Survivor Series interesting, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to TakeOver. I thought NXT had a great show on Wednesday, and I'm already looking forward to next week's episode, which will feature Dunn versus Damian Priest. I don't know what else is on tap, but I do know that match is happening. As for AEW Dynamite airing opposite of NXT on Wednesday night, another great episode, very newsworthy as well, with the first ever AEW World Tag Team Champions being crowned. To kick off the show, we had Hangman Adam Page besting Sammy Guevara in a one-on-one outing. Great match here. These are two top guys to watch in AEW. Page is a star. He was not quite ready for that world championship push yet, so I'm glad they held off on that. And they had Jericho win the championship instead. Um, But he looked great here. Sammy Guevara is also going to be one to watch. He's tremendous in the ring. He comes across like such an absolute asshole. Um, He plays his role remarkably well. But... um, Yeah, I thought he was great here as well. And this was just a really, really fun match. I thought they worked wonderfully together. 
Uh, we had Hikar, Hikaru Shida. Hikaru Shida, I think is how you pronounce her name. Taking on Shayna, who I, was, I wasn't really familiar with either one of these women. Uh, though this ended up being probably, arguably, the best women's match so far in AEW. Now, I forgot to mention this real quick. Paige will be facing off with Pac in a rematch from the first episode of Dynamite at Full Gear next month, which is good to see. I thought the pay-per-view was named after the whole Full Gear Challenge bullshit, so I'm kind of surprised they didn't do that match initially, but they will be doing it at the pay-per-view in a few weeks, which is cool. Or really, rather, next Sunday. The pay-per-view's coming up next week, which is crazy. But anyway, uh, we had Sheeta versus Shayna. Very good match here. I thought they got plenty of time, and they made the most of it. Very well-wrestled match. Shayna looked good. Sheeta looked great. Um, it is a little weird that they are building up, like, the Joshi women before their actual division. I don't know if Sheeta is signed. I would assume she is. But we have yet to see on Dynamite Penelope Ford. Awesome Kong. Leva Bates, but I'm fine with that because she sucks. Um, Allie, Sadie Gibbs. Like, they have a lot of women they're not doing enough with right now. So, to feature the Joshi women first, maybe, I don't, they're very good, I'm not complaining, but it just seems strange to me that all these other women have yet to make their debut on Dynamite and are still being relegated to AEW Dark. Um, like, they have two hours worth of programming. One of the biggest knocks against NXT for the longest time was that they didn't really feature their women enough. Yep, they're having two women's matches a week. We had Candice LeRae and Io Shirai this week. In addition, it was like a near half an hour WWE Women's Tag Team title match. AEW had a really good 10-minute women's match, but they're not doing enough with that division. Now, the Brandy Awesome Kong thing, I really could not give two shits about. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, they played a vignette for them that was kind of similar to what they used to do for Karma when she first debuted in WWE years ago, when she was like breaking the Barbie dolls. They're clearly building up Brandy as like this psychopathic... I don't know what they're going for with her, but... She's supposed to be psychotic, and she's lost her mind, and she wants to be a wrestler. She's just no fucking good. She's been wrestling for years now, and she has yet to really improve. So I have no optimism. I have no real, uh, any hope regarding her in-ring future being any good. Uh, but in the meantime, though, they are focusing on Rio and, and Cheetah and Britt Baker. We're all good, but we need more variety in this women's division, I would argue. But at least on the bright side, this was a good match. And Sheeta did end up going over. I thought it would be more one-sided in favor of Sheeta, but it was cool to see Shayna get some more offense than I thought she would as well, because she very she was very impressive too. Uh, we then had the Rock and Roll Express come out, courtesy of Wrestle Rant Radio alum Chris Van Vliet, who we have not seen on the show since the October second episode. So I was surprised that he was gone for so long, but they finally utilized him here. He introduced the WWE Hall of Famers, Rock and Roll Express, who were promptly attacked by Santana and Ortiz. Uh, this, I thought, was a great angle. Now, the Rock and Roll Express, get this, I would argue are one of the hottest tag team acts in the wrestling world today. Despite the fact they have not been in their prime in like 25, 30 years, they are still very much making the rounds and are very much in demand wherever they go. They have legit wrestled and competed for every major pro wrestling company in the last three years. They first resurfaced at the Tag Team Apocalypto episode of Impact back in late 2016 with that Matt Hardy episode that he filmed at, uh, that they filmed at his house. Yeah, they were involved in that. That was when I first saw them come back. They were then involved with WWE when they came back for the Hall of Fame in early 2017. They recently did dates for Ring of Honor. They went for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. 
they win. I don't know if they went for the New Japan Tag Team titles, but they did recently do a few shows with um, New Japan, including one of the Hammerstein Ballroom in, um, in New York City a few weeks ago, about a month ago, about a month or so ago. And then they're also working with the NWA. They're also working with the NWA, which is really cool, obviously. I mean, that's where they kind of, you know, cut their teeth for so long many years ago. They were so synonymous with the NWA for so long that it only made sense for them to go back there for the recent set of tapings. But yeah, they're also involved in the NWA shows, and now they showed up on AEW TV too. So uh, I'm not sure if this is leading to a Santana and Ortiz Rock and Roll Express match. Honestly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it because based off what I've seen from these guys recently and all the promotions I just mentioned, they're not half bad. You know, at their age, definitely in their early 60s, they're not awful at all. And I'm sure Santana and Ortiz, who are just amazing, can carry them to a really good match. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised that that's where this is leading to. I know this was designed to get more heat on, um, you know, Santana and Ortiz in the inner circle. But they also furthered the feud between Santana and Ortiz and the Young Bucks a little later on when they appeared at ringside after the Young Bucks win over um, you know, in that six-man tag team match over John Silver, Alex Reynolds, and um, who was it? Uh, QT Marshall. So they didn't really need to appear in this segment after already doing that thing with the Bucks a little later on. So again, I think this was designed to plant the seeds for a future match because the whole purpose of the Rock and Roll Express being on the show was to present the winners of the AEW World Tag Team Title Tournament with the championships. But they never got to do that because they were attacked earlier on in the evening. So I would honestly not be opposed to that. Could we be getting Santana and Ortiz versus the Rock and Roll Express? A match I didn't know I needed in 2019. Um, Rock and Roll Express, who were you know vying for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Titles a few months ago. LAX, who were vying for the Impact World Tag Team titles a few months ago, might be facing off on AEW TV very shortly. A very weird sentence for sure in 2019, but hey, I'm for it. I am here for it, absolutely, 110%. We then had Best Friends and Orange Cassidy, my favorite act in all of wrestling right now, a guilty pleasure of mine, taking on the aforementioned trio of QT Marshall, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds. Um, I mentioned the Elite earlier. They actually beat another trio. We had two six-man tag team matches on this show. Um, I forgot to mention. We had a lot of tag team matches, actually. A lot of tag team stuff between the Rock and Roll Express stuff, the first ever AEW World Tag Team Champions being crowned. We had the Elite match. We had this match. A lot of tag team stuff. But anyway, this was fun. Uh, kind of a throwaway six-man tag team match. Didn't really mean much. But for what it was, they made the most of their time. The crowd loved the fuck out of it. And I'm going to tell you right now, this wasn't for everybody, but I loved the shit out of that Rick and Morty tie-in with the best friends and Orange Cassidy. So if you didn't see it, it was announced a week ago that AEW was going all elite, okay? And I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? I love Rick and Morty. Shout out to Jason who introduced me to the show. It's a great show. It's actually coming back for its fourth season next Sunday. Um, gotta check that out, looks great, but yeah, so I guess maybe, not Time Warner, but, uh, whoever owns AEW, um, Time Warner, whoever it is, Turner, maybe Turner owns, uh, Adult Swim, I guess they do, I, I don't really know, um, does Adult Swim air on TNT, I'm, I don't really know, I, I, I kind of forget to be honest with you, but, um, so they're doing this, 
no uh, corporate synergy shit where they're promoting Rick and Morty on AEW TV. Again, most people may not give a shit about this. Some people don't like the Rick and Morty fan base. I don't give a fuck. I love the show and I love Best Friends and I love Orange Cassidy. So they came out, and by the way, the Best Friends theme song is so incredibly addictive, it's hard to get out of your head after you hear it for one time. You hear it once, it's stuck in your head forever. That's how great of a theme song it is, and it's only like a minute long. It's just really catchy and really addictive. But anyway, they come out dressed as Ricky, as, as Rick and Morty. I almost said Ricky Morton, because uh, we saw him earlier on in the show as part of the Rock and Roll Express segment. But yeah, so Chuck Taylor was um, Rick, and then Orange Cassidy was also Rick in his own way. And then Trent was Morty. This was something I didn't know I needed in my life until it finally happened. Until it happened on Wednesday, this is something I didn't know I needed. This was so fucking funny. I hollered so loud, I almost woke up my neighbors. That's how much I love this segment. It was so stupid, so fucking dumb, but I fucking loved it. Now, again, maybe I wouldn't say the same for WWE with the whole Rusev divorce court bullshit and how dumb that nonsense was. Um, Maybe you're saying the same thing about that, that it was so stupid that you loved it. Honestly, I think it's dumb as fuck. You probably thought this was dumb as fuck. But personally, because I'm a Rick and Morty fan, I thought this was hilarious. They wore the garb for the better part of the match. And again, this was far from being about the match. No one gave a shit about the match. They loved the fact that they dressed up, though. A lot of the fans in the crowd were given Rick and Morty masks for Halloween, which I thought was really cool. AEW takes Halloween very seriously. So I thought they went all out on this year's episode with the Elite dressing up, Best Friends and Orange Cassidy dressing up. I thought this was tremendous. So as you could probably expect... They ended up picking up the victory, or the uh, rectory. That was dumb, I know. I I apologize. And then afterward, dude, I I tweeted about this last night, but that spot that best friends do with Orange Cassidy, who I, I forgot exactly what happened, but I think they were attacked afterward or something happened where Orange ditched the Rick costume and he just started being himself and again his gimmick is so fucking dumb that I absolutely love it and I thought it was stupid when I first saw it too many months ago double or nothing but it's really grown on me since then um I just think it's so funny and I think the fit with the best friends is perfect they are a perfect fit for each other and I cannot tell you how badly how much I laugh whenever I see the best friends do that dumb hog that they do and they hog orange Cassidy. God, that could make, even on my worst day, make me smile, because I think that is the funniest shit. Uh, When they hug Orange Cassidy, and he's just standing there looking like an idiot, and the camera zooms out Okada style, God, that shit gets me going every single time. That will never cease to pop me. I thought that was so funny. What made this funny was the Rick and Morty tie-in and the costumes and everything else. This, honestly, was the highlight of the night for me. And I know that's not... You know, that's saying a lot on a really good show featuring a really good opener and a good main event, new tag team champions being crowned and Rock and Roll Express appeared and all this other stuff. A good contract signing. But yes, this was my favorite shit on the entire show. I fucking love Orange Cassidy and Best Friends. That It's one of my favorite acts in wrestling. I think they are such a perfect fit for each other and they bring so much joy to my heart every single time I see them in action. 
We then had the contract signing with Chris Jericho, the AEW world champion, or Le Champion, as he calls himself, and Cody, head of the uh, full gear main event for the AEW world championship. I will say this, the segment that they did with Cody and Tony Schiavone in the car, to kick off the show, I thought it was fine. The segment they did in the car heading to the arena was dragged out a little too much. And I like Tony, I like Cody, but the stories and all this other shit, it felt like an episode of uh, Undesirable to Undeniable on AEW Dark, which I think is a great segment to help you get to know the characters more and shit like that. Um, but on Dynamite, it doesn't really work as well. The crowd has a very short attention span. I didn't think that was all that smart. Um, but I did think this was a solid segment, though. I would prefer that AEW does away with the whole tired trope of contract signings altogether. I just don't think they're necessary. If you want to promote a face-off with Jericho and Cody, that's fine. Um, but the contract signings, although this was done differently, there was no Pure Six brawl. There was no in-ring signing. It was done on the stage. It was done formally. Just a back and forth on the mic type of thing. I would still rather see no contract signings at all in AEW. If they really want to differentiate themselves from WWE and the product they're putting out, I wouldn't even bother. Because it doesn't matter how well it's done. When people hear contract signing nine times out of ten, they will automatically not care. Because we see them so often in WWE. They're done to death on all their fucking shows. They've done them on NXT UK. They've done them on NXT. They've done them on, you know, uh, Raw, SmackDown, you name it. They've done it on every fucking show. Almost every other week, they do this shit. So, I would prefer that AEW doesn't do it at all. But, again, I thought this was well done. Jericho had good mic work. Cody had good mic, had good mic work. Uh, both very good promos from both men. And then, to close out the segment, the whole purpose of this was to distract Cody. Now, again, I thought the long shots of Cody and Tony Schiavone in, uh, Tony Schiavone in the limo were going to lead to Tony Schiavone getting the shit kicked out of him after it was established that Tony was good friends and he was close with Cody. It wasn't Tony. who He might have been on back at the announce booth at this point. I don't remember. He came back at some point around the segment. Um, either right before or right after. I don't remember. But instead of attacking Tony... Um, Jake Hager, who's coming off his DQ loss in his Bellator fight on Friday via a low blow, which they incorporated here. It would have been stupid for them not to, so I'm glad they did. I thought that was smart. Um, it was really just logical, if nothing else. But it was Jake Hager and Sammy Guevara going after Dustin, attacking him in the parking lot, beating the shit out of him. Uh, Cody didn't just stand there looking like an idiot, watching the screen as he watched his brother get the shit kicked out of him. No, he ran backstage, and he ran to where Dustin was. But by the time he arrived... Sammy and Jake were already gone, but uh, incorporating the low blow from the fight on Friday, which I'm sure wasn't intentional, I'm sure it was an accident, but it would have been stupid to not use it in some way, and I'm glad they did, to make Hager look more ruthless and make him look more like a dick, no pun intended, but I thought this was good for what it was. After that, we then had the six-man tag team match, the other six-man tag team match on the show, pitting the elite against the trio of Kip Sabian and the hybrid two who always fucking lose. They are perennial losers on this show. Now, they did win one AEW Dark match a few weeks ago, but other than that, though, these guys have lost a lot in the last couple of weeks, uh, and they are much better than that. But like I said, RJ over text the other day, in such a stacked tag team division, you gotta expect, you gotta expect, uh, you gotta expect a team or two 
to do the job for all the other teams. That's why they're there. You can't have everyone be stars. The hybrid two seem like they're over, but they're not as big as they should be because they have all these other hot tag team acts right now. They have Private Party. They have the Young Bucks. They have the Lucha Bros. They have, you know, SCU are the new tag team champions. Spoiler alert. They have all these other great acts, um, LAX, Santana, and Ortiz, that they can't build up everyone at once. So I can't seem surprised. But this was fun. Um, spots galore. If you love that shit, then you would have loved this match. I enjoyed it for what it was. No real storytelling and stuff like that, but I thought it was good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And I like the fact that Omega and uh, the Bucks dressed up for Halloween. I think the Bucks were Street Fighter characters. And Omega was, I couldn't even tell you. We had a skull on. I'm sure it was from a video game or some shit. Um, and that's cool. And I didn't know what the costume was. I forgot to look it up before I started recording here. But I will say, though, nothing will beat their Mario costume from last year. Uh, when they were on the Jericho cruise at this time a year ago, every member of the Elite dressed up as a character from the Mario Brothers video games. Uh, Brandy might have been Peach. I think Kenny might have been Yoshi. I forgot who was who, but it was funny as fuck. It was so funny. And they literally, they, they won Halloween. They won Halloween last year with that costume. So, um, you know, it, these weren't quite as good, but it's still cool to see them dress up nonetheless. Because I know Kenny is very into Halloween, as are the Bucks. And it would have been a big missed opportunity for them to not dress up here. After that, we had John Moxley coming out to attack the librarian, Peter Avalon, who uh, I believe this made, this marked his AEW debut, or Dynamite debut, rather. And he was quickly laid out by Moxley. Thank God. Better yet, Moxley finally cut a promo. Now, we have seen him cut like a promo while he was walking to the ring a few weeks ago. Um, you know, he was showing in the audience or in the in, in, in where the seats are in the seats before the show talking. And you can hear him. It was like a side-by-side thing, like a picture-in-picture -picture type of shit where they, you know, featured him talking for a few minutes, if that. It was like a minute or so. This was like a real promo. Why it took this long to get Moxie to cut a promo on the show, I don't know. But better late than never. I thought this was great. Um, he hyped up the match with Kenny Omega at full gear. He is none too happy with the match being made unsanctioned, which, you know, he likes the fact that matches are no DQ because it kind of fits his style. But he also brought up a good point, and he, I, I, I like the fact that he cares about wins and losses, that no matter who wins, it's not going to count on his record because it's unsanctioned, and which would make sense that the unsanctioned matches don't count on your record. So I'm not a fan of the match being made no disqualification just because, not that the feud just started, but this is going to be their first match. I don't think it needs to be unsanctioned. You can build that at some other point. And we've already had two other non-sanctioned matches in the last couple of months alone. They did one with Moxley at a Fighter Fest against Joey Janela. Great, no issue. The one with Kenny Omega and Joey Janela on AEW Dark, of all places, was really just, why? I was there for the match. I thought it was a good match. I enjoyed it, but it went way too long. It felt like they were working a fucking Iron Man match, and there was no reason for it to be an unsanctioned match. An unsanctioned match because it was a random-ass match on Dark. This, I'm also not a fan of it being made non-sanctioned. Not every fucking show needs to have a no-disqualification match. It's just not necessary. But... I'm sure they will make the most of it and have a great match anyway. Uh, we then get to the main event to determine the first ever AEW World Tag Team Champions. Uh, it was SCU 
against the Lucha Brothers here. My only nitpick again, I mean, I had a couple nitpicks against the match itself. It was just underwhelming. It was a really good match. I thought it was a great main event. You know, really good action. They worked well together. But it never really felt, in my opinion, that they reached that next gear before the abrupt ending. Now, they got the in-ring introductions, but just because they were short on time, so they had to cut the entrances for Lucha Bros and SCU. Now, they probably shouldn't have had the Elite match go fucking 10 minutes when it was obvious they were going to win. They probably could have shaved off a couple minutes off of that and given them to this match. It was still good, don't get me wrong, it was a very entertaining main event, but it just kind of felt, you know, a bit underwhelming for the first ever AEW World Tag Team Champions crowned. Um, so SCU ended up winning, and I was surprised by that, they ended up winning, not only did they win, they won with a fucking roll-up, the Young Bucks' favorite finisher, because I feel like every match now in AEW ends with a goddamn roll-up, maybe I'm seeing it more than I, maybe I'm, uh, I'm, you know, exaggerating here, but I feel like we see a lot of roll-ups in AEW, and it's just like, you hit everything in your arsenal, and then it's a roll-up that beats this person, it just kind of feels anticlimactic. When you do it once in a blue moon, like it works. But when you do it every other week, it doesn't really work as well. Uh, again, a, a good match. But not only was the roll-up disappointing, I'm a little surprised, or very surprised rather, that the Lucha Bros lost. I would not have had them lose here. I thought that uh, they were the ones to win. They made the most sense to become the inaugural AEW World Tag Team Champions. And again, I thought they you know, they looked good in the feet, they were protected via the roll-up and whatnot, but there was no real reason for them to lose in the first ever AEW World Tag Team title match. They are the most over-tag team that entire company, including probably the Young Bucks. Um, and if the Young Bucks weren't going to win the title so soon, I get it, I understand why, but there was no reason for the, for the Lucha Bros to not be in that spot instead. Now, SCU are good, I'm a fan of theirs. I like them. This might be their only shot at getting a tag team title run on a major company again. I know they were tag team champions not too, too long ago in uh, Ring of Honor, so I know that counts, of course. It's not quite AEW level, but it was still cool. They may have ended the final battle pay-per-view a year ago, did Kazarian and uh, uh, Scorpio Sky. Christopher Daniels was not involved. They, he was not a member of the tag team champions at that point. He was doing his own thing in singles competition. He should be back soon. He was not on the show um, he's still out hurt via the injury that the Lucha Bros took him out with a couple weeks ago on Dynamite. Um, he should be back soon, but yeah, they won, then they celebrated for like a minute, and the show went off the air, so the time constraints are a bit of an issue. The match was only 12 minutes long. It could have gone a little longer. You know, I would have shaved a few minutes off of the Elite match to make more time for this, but it was still good. Uh, they worked well together. I just thought it was the wrong move to put the belts in SCU over the Lucha Bros, personally. Uh, I would not have done that just because, you know, they've been built up to be the best tag team in this promotion. Not to say they'll never be tag team champions. I'm sure they'll be champions soon enough. I just didn't think it was the right move right now. I think there is, you know, there, there's a time and place for SCU to win. And based off that crowd reaction, I don't think it was here because people like SCU. I don't think they like SCU as much as they like the Lucha Bros. You could tell people were shocked by that ending. So, uh, again, hopefully moving forward, we see more of the Lucha Bros in the tag team title picture, and it won't be long before they're wearing tag team title gold around their waist. And I will say this, too, before we wrap it up on this subject, that with um, SCU becoming champion, someone brought it to my attention on Twitter. Uh, shout out to Ryan Coates, if, you, if that's how you pronounce your last name. 
uh, they had suggested on Twitter that maybe that was done to you know have SCU be transitional champions so they could drop the championships to Santana and Ortiz you know sooner rather than later. They are facing the Young Bucks at full gear. No idea who SCU faces. Maybe the Bros in a rematch. I would doubt it. I don't know why they would deserve a rematch after this, but um maybe. But yeah, maybe Santana and Ortiz beat the Bucks and then they go after the AEW World Tag Team titles. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, they could do the title change in the very not-so-distant future, so I guess we'll soon see. But this was a good match to close out another great show from AEW Dynamite. As I said earlier, you can't really go wrong with either show. I thought NXT was great on Wednesday night, and Dynamite, watching it right after the fact, was also very, very entertaining. So Wednesday nights are undoubtedly the new best night in wrestling. Um, you know, Raw can be hit or miss sometimes. SmackDown can be hit or miss. NXT UK is on Thursdays. Tuesdays are jam-packed with NWA Power, then AEW Dark, and then uh, Impact at 8. And I forgot to mention this. Sammy Callahan, after Tuesday's episode of Impact on Access TV, their big grand Access TV debut, is the new Impact World Champion. So congrats to him. One of the best heels in the business right now. I'm surprised it took as long as it did to get the championship on him. But um, it finally happened, and the guy is very deserving of the accolade. Um, I thought they had a great match, him and Brian Cage, on Tuesday. So if you have yet to check it out, definitely do so. If you were one of those people that was burned out on the TNA product because they were just so bad, and you gave them one too many chances, and you were like, oh, this is a waste of time, I would give them another look. Now, they don't have all the buzz in the world, but it feels like for the first time in a long time, they have some sort of momentum. Coming off the debut on Access TV, I heard great things about the tapings that happened last week um, in Windsor, maybe. I forgot where the tapings happened. But uh, yeah, I heard they went very, very well, and this show was a great indication of what Impact is producing on a weekly basis. So be sure to check out Impact. If you don't have Access TV like me, they still do air the shows weekly for free on Twitch on their Twitch channel, which is pretty cool. So check it out Tuesday nights at 8, Impact Wrestling. And also, too, it looks like they're setting up Sammy and Tessa Blanchard for an Impact World Championship program based off the ending that we saw to Impact on Tuesday. So we'll see where that ends up. And I'm looking forward to Impact on Tuesday to seeing what the follow-up to that angle was. Um, But yeah, that's going to do it, guys, for WrestleRant Radio here today as far as the rest of my Halloween day is concerned. Um, As I said earlier, I'm wrapping this up right now. I'm going to go turn on either NXT UK or Ghostbusters or maybe watch both simultaneously. How I'll do that, I have no idea. I'll figure it out. But um, yeah, watching Ghostbusters, NXT UK, Crown Jewel. So uh, stay tuned with that or with me on that for my coverage of the show on Twitter. If you're listening to this during the show, after the show, probably after the show, I'll get this up. Uh, and my full review of Crown Jewel will be up in written form, hopefully on Next Day Wrestling by the time it wraps up. If not, it should be up either later on tonight or early on on Friday. And then we have SmackDown tomorrow. So it's a busy week. Busy week. Again, Crown Jewel, the most inconvenient pay-per-view ever, just because it's on a fucking Thursday afternoon on Halloween, no less, when I should be enjoying the day watching scary Halloween movies. I'm watching an equally scary show in Saudi Arabia. So not too big of a fan of that, but we'll see how it pans out and if the show's any better than its predecessors in Saudi Arabia. But check out my full written review of WWE Crown Jewel going up on nextairwrestling.net right afterwards, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, later on today. So, uh, yeah, and then I think later on tonight, after Crown Jewel wraps up and I get all my my work done here, 
Um, I should be going to watch Joker for a second time. I saw it for the first time a few weeks ago. I talked about it here on the on the podcast a few weeks ago with Alexis, actually. And uh, one of the best movies I've seen all year. We'll be seeing it for a second time tonight um, in a grand movie theater with the reserved seating and the nice seats, which I think we may have seen it in a nicer theater last time, too. I think so. I think we did. I don't remember. I don't... Huh? I know it was packed when we saw it the first time. The second time will definitely be better. I don't think the first time had like the reclining seats. You kind of get like, when you have it once, when you experience it once, you can't really experience it any other way from that time forward, just because you're so spoiled with the reclining seats and all that other shit. So we're going to get that treatment tonight, and I'm very much excited for it. So Joker, Ghostbusters, watch whatever you will. I was asked yesterday on hashtag what my favorite Halloween horror movies are, um, horror movies are. You know, I said, obviously, the classics, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween itself. I will be watching, hopefully, the 2018 installment of Halloween um, later on tonight before Halloween is over. Fingers crossed. We'll see. It's a great movie. I've not seen it since I saw it for the last time in theaters a year ago. Um, But that movie, and then, you know, there's also Trick or Treat. If you have yet to see Trick or Treat, definitely go out of your way to watch it. Um, Alexis and I watched Midsummer. I mentioned on the hashtag yesterday that I might be watching that soon because John Rettland, shout out to him, gave me a free code for it the other day. Freaky as fuck movie. Definitely intense. Absolutely bizarre and weird. But uh, it was creepy and definitely fit the Halloween spirit. So check that out when you get a chance as well. But on that note, folks, with all that being said, we're going to wrap it up here right now for WrestleRant Radio, the very special spooktacular episode of the show. Again, I promise not to do that dumb voice anymore in the remainder of this episode. Speaking of WrestleRant Radio, you can check out all new episodes every single Thursday, not only right here on NextAirWrestling.net, but also on iTunes, Google Play, uh, we're on Podbean, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, we're all over the place, baby, so subscribe today, rate the show, review the show, and check out every new episode, in addition to all the archived episodes, on Thursdays. Also, you can find me on the socials for all my Halloween love and tweets, at WrestleRant on Twitter, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gram.gsm.matthews, and on YouTube as well, youtube.com backslash c backslash Graham GSM Matthews. And I should mention this real quick. So much for an abridged version of WrestleRant Radio, right? I was planning on it, but then the more I started talking, I'm like, eh, it's probably going to be an hour long per usual. But anyway, we are going to meet uh, Seth Rollins, the Universal Champion, this Sunday at Ringside Fest. Alexis and I will be there. Ricochet will be there as well. Sasha Banks, Alexa, uh, Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross. But we are there to meet Seth freaking Rollins. Not just because I'm a Seth Rollins fan, probably one of the few remaining, but also because I can get my Intercontinental Championship replica title signed, uh, and he will be the latest IEC champion to sign that, so I'm stoked for that on Sunday, and I'll probably give my two cents on that experience next week right here on WrestleRant Radio, so until next time, guys, have a very scary Halloween. Enjoy the day on WrestleRant Radio's own Graham GSM Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the spooky road. Freedom, no good.